And if you have a Bible or a device that you use, we're going to be in Acts 1 again. We started last week moving through the book of Acts. Um, really enjoy kicking off this book that I think is going to be super helpful for us as a church. And today is going to be one of those pinnacle messages, I think, that's going to be really helpful um, for us corporately. I was talking to Mark earlier this morning about learning missions in school. Um, I knew what missions was before I went to seminary, and I'm one of those guys that started and did not finish seminary. But my very first class in the school of missions um, was global missions and cross cultural missions. And I learned from this guy, this haggard bush pilot. He used to fly, I mean, he doesn't do it anymore, but he used to fly these little tiny planes no one's got a business ever getting in over Central America and South America and drop these leaflets over these little villages of these people that you've never even heard of. And it was the gospel translated in their language. And he had to be really good. He taught us on how he would go and raise financial support to pay for the mission. He had to be really good at being an airplane mechanic. (laughs) But because he was not such a great airplane mechanic, he had a couple crash landings, semi-crash landings, no one died kind of crash landings. And instead of just getting out and finding his way back home, he just would plant a few churches here and there along the way back home. And I thought, that's missions right there. That is missions. But as I grew in the Lord, I learned that missions is it's actually a little bit more boring than that. It's where you're at right now. It, it doesn't really require a Rosetta Stone understanding of some different language or a passport or a prop plane. It just requires obedience inside of our already routines, our, inside of our normal days, our normal patterns. But But this, just between you and me, the first sounds easier. To me, it just sounds easier to be this Navy SEAL that can drop in and talk to people who are never really ever going to see me again because their rejection's not really going to sting as much and feel this heroic surge of energy as I try to explain the gospel, plant some churches, and bounce right out of there. That seems easier than debating the veracity of Scripture with the barista that lives three doors down or the mortgage banker next door. It just feels easier. You know, as we reconstruct the mission of the church, and that's why we're going through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a history of the church. It's a history of the church's mission. And as we walk through that, the big question I want us all to answer today is, do we have to be a good missionary? We already know that if you're a Christian, you're a missionary, right? There's no, there's no classification or categorization of being a Christian that is not a missionary, but how good do you really have to be? I mean, re- really, how good do you have to be? So let's look at the Bible today. I know we went through verses 1 through 6 or 7 or something like that last week, but we're going to go through 1 through 11 today, and I think this is going to be helpful, but this is the word of the Lord for you and me today. Let's submit to it. And Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he has given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait 
for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, it, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, the main idea of this passage is that you and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel and expand the rule and reign of Jesus Christ to all people. I mean, the, the big idea is it's not really our power. It's his power. It's not our power. It's just our obedience. That's what we're going to find in this. And this is really good news for struggling missionaries because let's just face it, we all feel like we're a two out of ten when it comes to being a missionary. Nobody in here feels like they're crushing it at this thing called evangelism or witnessing or being on mission to the city, even with all the training and all the books and all the clinics that we take. And, and, and what's noteworthy in this passage, and maybe it stood out to you, maybe it didn't, is that Jesus told them to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. For what? It seems odd for them to wait. Why wait? I mean, what, what, what is left for them to learn? They just spent 40 intensive days with the risen Jesus talking about the kingdom, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, how the Old Testament points to him, teaching the word of God as the risen Jesus. What are they waiting for? Why not just start once he ascends? He's cloaked in this cloud. And when it says cloud, and usually when you see cloud, covering somebody in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, it's talking about the glory of God, shrouding. It's the beauty and the splendor of God. I don't know if it was like a puffy cumulus cloud. It was the glory of glass. So if he's cloaked in this beauty of God's presence, wouldn't that be enough? Why wait? I mean, I'm, kind of, I'm a pragmatic guy, right? Had I been there, I would have thought, okay, the waiting's over. Jesus is gone. <laughs> Let's get to work. You guys go that way. Y'all go to India. You guys go to that part of Asia. Me and these three dudes, we're going to go to Europe. You guys stay here. We, we've got a lot of work to do. But he says, wait. And that's because the Spirit's present wasn't just helpful in mission, it's imperative in mission. The human soul that absorbs the gospel, that's another worldly matter. And it's impossible to have happen without the Spirit of God. We cannot achieve a saving faith. And I think, I think most of you know that. And if you were born in the church, if you've grown up in the church, you know you cannot just achieve a saving faith. Uh, and here's the thing, I can't export it. I can't input a saving faith into anyone. To be honest, we can't even predict saving faith. We can't even predict when the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus teaching Nicodemus, one of the religious elite of the day, says this in John 3, stay where you're at. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, 
But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I've sensed this over the years. You probably have too, right? Two guys walk into a bar. One of them walks out totally changed, ready to fix his marriage, saturated with the joy that the gospel brings to us. The other one, not so much. (laughs) We're not at all. Same words, same message from the same person at the same time. Listen, this has historically been the case with the way the Holy Spirit moves. He blows where he wishes. If we could manufacture it, we would program for it. But if you look for the history of revivals and awakenings, and those are actually two different things. We kind of put them into one big box. But a revival is when the church wakes up. It revives. And an awakening is when what is happening in the church swarms across a city or a region or a nation. And typically revivals come before awakenings, but it's not always been the case. But that's traditionally what we see. When the history of revivals and awakenings is before us, we see that the Spirit of God comes unpredictably, stays unpredictably, and does unpredictable things, and then leaves just as unpredictably as he came. The Holy Spirit works without our consultation, in the jungle, in the cubicle, both. And when he does, he saves. He has the power to edit a human soul for eternity. It's crazy. This is what Paul tells Titus, one of his disciples, another church planner. He says in Titus 3, 5, again, stay where you're at. He says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is cool, right? If you've never really learned much about it, regeneration is the moment, the activity of a stubborn stone heart that doesn't care about his own sin, doesn't care about God's feelings, God's value, God's character, doesn't feel any responsibility, doesn't have the prick of of a conscience, a deeply wounded, doesn't have any of that. Regeneration is when that is inverted and it becomes a heart of flesh that can feel and holds the responsibility of the blood on the cross and feels the radiant grace and the mercy that comes from the gospel. If you are in this room and you are in fact a child of God, a brother or a sister of Christ, and you have felt this moment, this moment where you just didn't care, and now you do, that's because your heart was regenerated. That's something that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does this. Yet, we are vehicles. We are vehicles, right? The Spirit moves through our activities and our agency to seize and grab a human heart. It's not by our power, but it is by our obedience. It's not by our power, but it is by our obedience. The whole time I was in the school of missions and taking different missions classes, they always kind of throw the same guy and the same quote into every course, right? And he's one of my favorite missionaries, William Carey. He's considered the father of modern missions. So he was alive in the late 1700s, and he is kind of the the pointy edge of of the stick when it comes to what it looks like to go from one culture to another and do missions. So whether it's you're on a college campus or another country or a workplace or whatever, William Carey is kind of the, the head of the fountain for our generation, right? And he, in the late 1700s, was raising money to go to India. And and when he showed up to this 
panel, this board of elder statesmen in the Lord, and he gives his prospectus on church planting in India. One of them stands up and says, young man, sit down. And now some of the renditions say he adds, you're an enthusiast. Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. No agency of man involved. No obedience needed. But here's the thing. William Carey has read the Bible. (laughs) He knows what Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans 10. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they've never heard? Obvious, right? Especially for a pragmatic guy like me. I love that. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they supposed to hear? Because several verses later, he says faith comes by hearing. Somebody's got to carry it. Somebody's got to carry the message. Somebody has to be obedient. Carrie understood it would be the agency of man that would carry and herald the message, and it would be the agency of the Holy Spirit to flip the switch on a human heart, right? And that's how it is. That's how the God uses you. He takes your broken memory and your broken grammar and the fact that you can't remember where the passage is in the Bible, but you know it's in the Bible somewhere, and you say it, but you're pretty sure you kind of mix two passages together, and you're not even sure you did that right. And even all your broken motivations. And the Holy Spirit will seize that moment to supernaturally alter a person for all of eternity. And it is really that simple. It is legitimately that simple. Which begs the question, if it's that simple, then why learn how to be a missionary? Why learn how to be a good one? Why sharpen that skill or gifting? And it's because how we carry the gospel to a broken, groaning creation will be seen as either thoughtless or helpful, right? We don't just share the love of God, spouting words about what God did at one point in time to a people. We share the love of God lovingly. When we declare the hospitality of God, we do it with hospitality. When we talk about grace, we do so gracefully. It matters, It matters. We can be good at handling objections, listening to people, suffering rejection. But even when people become radically born again, it is not your power. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. I'm excited about this. We're actually getting ready in a few weeks, and we'll probably announce it in future weeks going forward. We're going to have our first class on apologetics, an introduction to apologetics could be very helpful. If none of you have been through apologetics before, it might be very helpful. And, and then after that, we'll have an extended class on missional living, which has always been a corner piece of our church. It's kind of a bedrock class we've done for several years where we learn how to be better listeners, better friends, how to take surfacey relationships and graduate them to something with depth, something that can hold weight how to employ community around you, how to get trajectory, how to spot opportunities, all of that. All of it's helpful to people. Because some people are argued into a saving faith. Some people are inspired. Some are rebuked. Some are encouraged. We all hear different things differently. You know, when I became a born-again Christian, I had some knots about God that needed to be untied. I needed people to come along and say, no, 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 that's, that's not who God is. That's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Oh, that's not what salvation is. This is what salvation is. I needed those knots to be untied, and that was helpful. People were sharpened there. I also needed to be inspired. It was helpful for me to have somebody tell me what the meaning of my life was. 
what heaven would look like, what, what we are capable of with the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel and disciple people in all areas of life. That was, I needed that. I also needed people to rebuke me. And I needed to be encouraged. I needed all kinds of things. And the people that were so good at this, they were just obedient. They weren't powerful. That's what the Holy Spirit did. This is why Jesus says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you get this. You can't start a movement without this. You'll have to wait. And wait they did. And wait we do. Now, we're not waiting like they did. If you're a born-again Christian, you got all of the Holy Spirit just as much as you got all of Christ himself, right? But we do wait. We trust and we depend and we lean and we wait on Jesus to blow across the scenery of all of our best attempts and see God do what he sees fit. We're obedient and we wait for him to work. So whenever you extend the gospel, and I use that phrase a lot, extend the gospel, and that's because we project the gospel in word because people don't come to faith by deed alone. They have to hear the gospel. It has to be presented. So we do it in word, but we do it in deed as well. The deeds lift the words. They highlight and underline the words. So when we extend the gospel, we don't have to be preoccupied with ourselves. We, we don't have to be so self-preoccupied in our own power to get the job done. And that's where this passage helps me considerably, to be honest with you, because I can find it very easy to be immersed in my own pride at how good I am doing as a missionary or shame and how poorly I am as a missionary. Usually shame, right? Because we, we somewhat feel like we have the power to get it done but most often we feel like failures because nothing's getting done. And it's because we've mistaken our simple obedience with a power to save. We've gotten it mixed up. We've gotten it mixed up. And because we think we should ABC always be closing, we feel like failures. And that's why shame comes and haunts you and says, you ought to be better at this. You ought to be a killer missionary. You ought to have led many people to the Lord by now. You ought to be leading people to the Lord right now. That's what, that's what we hear. I'm resolved that the silent church is mostly a self-preoccupied church. And this passage is good because it removes the burden for us to produce what only God himself can produce. You preach the gospel. Some people are born again. Listen, some people aren't. You'll be rejected. They'll reject you. They will reject the gospel. And that might mean that they just need to hear it differently. They just might need to hear the same thing more. They might need some explanations. They might need some healing from trauma that they've got from a church or a pastor or whatever in the past. Listen, in my case, they might need a famine or two to come and knock them right off their horse. They might need a few things. Or they just won't believe. Some won't believe. And that's hard. And that's really sad. And we keep plowing. We keep plodding. One thing we do know is it begins with obedience. And then the Holy Spirit takes that obedience and does amazing things. I mean, what, what on earth is there for us to lose? God is on the move. God is on the move. I want you to just consider that right now. Today in Knoxville, no, no, Knoxville Tennessee, here we are. In what, what, January 9th, 
in the year of our Lord 2022. People woke up this morning with a hangover. Not because they just like the way bad vodka tastes, but because they're trying to escape something. People woke up this morning wondering if they had another month or two left in their marriage. They woke up today addicted to something that they just can't put down. They woke up today scared. People woke up today and they finally got everything they wanted in life and they're miserable. That happened today in your city, in your city, in this city, and God is on the move. And he's messing with hearts. He's fiddling with their value system. He's provoking them to ask questions. And we, when we are obedient, can insert ourselves in the midst of all of that and see God do some amazing things. And you know what? Our our preoccupations doesn't just stop with a self-preoccupation. There's a couple more that I'm starting to see in the church more and more that I think our passage today really speaks loudly to. And one of them is we can be very, very preoccupied with politics. I find this passage very helpful, believe it or not, for a hyper-politicized church today, which isn't new. This is why he says in our passage, Lord, the disciples, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Anyone catch that? How annoying is that question by this point in time? How annoying. Still not getting it. They're not getting it. Jesus is off doing something, making a fire or cooking some food, and they're having a water cooler moment over here going, yo, one of these days Jesus is going to whoop Caesar and bring the kingdom back, and it's going to be like when David was here. And we're going to win, and they're all going to lose, and we win. We're victorious. That's what they were thinking. That's why you'll find Jesus time to time in the gospel saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's going to go down. Yeah, Jesus, we hear you, but when are the tanks coming in? We hear you, but when is this thing going down? They're not getting it. They're not getting it. Much of the church is on mission today, but not to bring Jesus to people. It's to bring a political utopia here to America. To bring it here. Where mission means beating the Democrats. Or the Republicans means defeating big tech or Hollywood or the public schools or Congress or the white. You fill fill in the blank. If we could just beat the enemy, and when we see enemy, we think flesh and blood. Even though Paul is very clear that our fight is not against flesh and blood, we still think that if we beat the enemy, then we finally have our kingdom back and we are victorious. But hear me now. The kingdom is not a place with boundaries or a latitude or a longitude. It doesn't have it. The kingdom is a rule and a reign. The kingdom is God's reign with a people that love him. The expanding church just represents this people that's under God's reign. And eventually, God himself is going to bring all of the cosmos under his reign. Finally, everything is unspoiled. Finally, everything is unfailed, unruined. And it is as it always should have been. Government will work like it always should have worked. The arts will be beautiful. Technology will work as it always should have worked. Mission is not about the midterm elections. It's not. It's not about who's Team Fauci or who's leaving Twitter for whatever now. It's not about making everyone your favorite political party. Mission is the extension and the expression of God's story to a groaning creation that desperately need our hero in Jesus. We could be preoccupied with ourselves. We could be very preoccupied with politics. We could also be very preoccupied with this idea of keeping the kingdom in heaven only, this weird piety. I find this helpful, this part of the passage helpful for a hyper-silent church. Notice that 
that these angels, these two dudes in white, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Is that not the dumbest question? Have you ever read that and thought, these guys, that's a great question. What would you be doing? I would be looking into heaven. Why? Because Jesus just, wait for it, lifted into the air with a cloud of glory. He lifted into the air. Listen, I've seen some crazy things. I've seen some crazy things with these two eyes where I've looked at the guy next to me and said, bro, did you see that? Did you see that? Nothing else would have gotten my attention right then. There could be two teams that I don't even care about playing each other. And if it's fourth and one in the red zone, you could be talking. I'm not hearing anything you're saying. I'm watching the game. What else would they be looking at? These angels were not judging them for being amazed at what's amazing. Something else is happening. They're addressing something. They're speaking directly to something. You see, Jesus wasn't coming back on Tuesday. For 40 days, he'd been coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, teaching. He was there on Thursday. They go to bed. They wake up. He keeps teaching on Friday. That's what they had known. Now, officially, he's not coming back, not in the physical form, not until he rolls everything up, not coming back. He'd lifted for good. A new age was dawning. And so the angels are telling them in so many words to not sit and stare in this sentimental posture of just waiting for Jesus to return in physical form. There's now a spirit that they are to wait for, and that spirit will move through them as they obey and flip a world upside down. You see, mission is not only about this personal conversion that we all have, where we're detached from a cold, dirty world into our own little heavenly bliss. Just me and my Bible and my journal and my cup of coffee and of course I'm going to take an Instagram shot of that just me in my own life in my family that's all I care about I don't want to do anything with the smoking section of the world let it all burn down it's just me and my sphere it's basically sitting and staring into the sky but gospel mission has unmistakable ramifications on society it does as we saw last week when Jason and Team Jason were drugged in front of the Thessalonican, I guess, commerce department, and they were saying, hey, listen, this gospel that's wrecking business as usual in other parts of the world is now in our backyard. We can't have this. The gospel, the church, had already started flipping things upside down because that's what happens. Gospel mission is unmistakable in how it alters business as normal. If you're a student of revivals and awakenings, there was one over a hundred years ago in Wales, which is right in the middle of Great Britain. They just call it the Welsh Revival. And there was also an awakening attached to it. And it's interesting because of the societal implications it had. Bars, brothels, movie theaters, and sports arenas all started shutting down. Not because they felt like it was sinful to watch a soccer match, although I can make the argument that if you're watching soccer, you're watching the wrong sport. But and it's not because you weren't allowed to drink as a Christian. It's because they were saving their money. Bibles were hard to come by. To buy books for their kids to teach them about Jesus, they were saving. So it was wrecking the economy. Not only that, the horses and the mines, they were confused. They didn't know how to go left or right because pre-awakening, the owners of the horses, those who worked in the mines, were using curse words, just foul language, to tell the horses whether to go left or right. And now because they don't speak with foul words anymore, the horses don't know what to do. They're just bumping into the walls and stuff, I guess. I don't know. And then every week, the, the, the newspapers would change reporting the news to having a revival edition 
Tuesday, Wednesday, some of them had two to three days a week where you would get a newspaper and it would say, hey, listen, we're just going to talk about Jesus today. Consider that today. You open up your phone and go to whatever your news app is and them going, listen, today's Revival Day. There's a lot going on. We're talking about Jesus today. That's what was happening. And before that, we had a couple great awakenings punch through America. And that's fascinating, too, because we saw colleges started out of it. A lot of the colleges people are climbing over each other to get into were started to engineer young pastors, young ministers to start churches. Personhood was returned to woman. Personhood was given to men brought over on slave ships. This happened in the Great Awakening. Churches were being planted so fast they didn't have pastors enough to keep up with it, which is why one of the reasons we had circuit riders all over the place. Some of them right through Knoxville. Some of them right through our backyard. The mission of God to redeem creation, it comes from time to time, unpredictably. And not even our best technological towers of Babel can stand unchanged in the face of it. They can't do it. See, the temptations that I've lined out, very easy to see. We could be wrongly attached to this world and be too earthly. We could be wrongly detached from this world and be too heavenly, I guess. And we can Definitely be preoccupied with ourself all the way through it. See, you see, humanity struggles at mission. It's because it's not natural. It's not natural to be a good witness, a good missionary. We weren't born to just automatically insert ourselves into the lives of others to give them a story that is part really bad news and then part intoxicating, fascinating news while waiting the whole time on the Holy Spirit to flip a switch or not flip a switch. That's not normal. It's otherworldly. So how do you and I overcome this apprehension in being a missionary? How do we do it? And the answer is so simple, it's too simple. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves before we preach it to other people. It's not just a story for the dead. It's a story for the living. Friends, if you're lousy at telling people about Jesus, it's likely because you fear losing something. You, you might lose esteem, acceptance, time for sure, right? Respect. There's something to be lost in that. Something is telling you to keep your mouth shut. That thing that you're depending on getting from others, that is the price tag of mission. The gospel is true for gospel tellers just as much as it's true for gospel recipients. And my favorite part about the gospel for a missionary is it gives us freedom, freedom to be rejected, just freedom to be rejected. I, I think the silent church in America is nothing more complicated than a church that does not believe that there's nothing to lose. I think we're all fairly convinced there's quite a bit to lose, right? And when I'm silent, I feel I must have what that person can give me, what these people can give me. But the good news is whether you are a healthy missionary or a struggling one, God's love for you is incredibly secure. He can't love you less on your worst days than he does on your good days. He can't. He loves you where you don't deserve it. That's grace. And he doesn't hold you at arm's length because you do deserve it, and that's mercy. He's good to us. I mean, rejection loses its sting in the face of something like that. Not just death. I mean, sure, rejection hurts, but it can't destroy you any more than death can destroy you. 
You see, God adores bad missionaries. The gospel for the struggling missionary is you are enough. You're enough. And you're loved. And you're secure. And you're liked. And you're also free to be rejected. You're free to abandon what this world demands because it won't cost you anything. All the acceptance in the cosmos is given to you. All the approval in God's cosmic arrangement has been given to you because of the work of Jesus. So you are free to enter God's mission to flip a world upside down. But if you think the mission of God is to win the White House, if you think the mission of God is just to have a a really good private secret faith, your God needs to grow in size. He's too small. He says here that his mission is to the ends of the earth. And we'll, we'll get into that later, down the road. We'll get into what it means as he scopes mission out. To the end of the earth, though, not just in the brothels of Wales, but in the locker rooms of Knoxville, not just in the jungles, but in your cubicles, to the ends of the earth. You know, one of my favorite things about William Carey is that there's nothing notable about William Carey. In 1792, he preached a sermon to all of his peers. And when he preached this sermon, he was an assistant cobbler, right? Now, cobblers don't make cobbler, although I think we need as many people in our workforce making cobblers, good cobblers, as we could possibly get. It was a guy that made shoes, a cobbler that made shoes, right? And he didn't even make shoes He was an assistant to a guy that made shoes. So he's an assistant to the regional manager. That's who he is, William Carey. And the title of his sermon is Expect Great Things from God, Attempt Great Things for God. Just an ordinary guy being obedient. But he had wind at his back. He had the Holy Spirit flipping switches all around him. And 20 years after that sermon, India would never be the same. Go to India now. Most of the churches, most of the churches planted there came from the fruit that came from a branch, that came from a limb, that goes all the way back to an obedient assistant cobbler in the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're lost, and when I say lost, I mean you're just grabbing. You don't love Jesus. You, You don't know where you stand cosmically. You don't know where you stand in eternity. You're pretty sure you don't love Jesus. You're not sure if he likes you. If you're watching online, if you're watching today, watching 10 years from now, you need to know that God has come before you today in a moment like this. And not to forsake a moment like this. You've sensed the Holy Spirit moving. If you feel things moving around, you might be sensing the Holy Spirit doing something in you. He might be regenerating you. He might be provoking deeper questions. He might start some work in you that he'll finish a decade from now, a year from now, a few minutes from now. His mission to the ends of the earth is also to you. But it requires death to self and an awakening to his beauty. Because what God has done for mankind is simply stunning, that he has come to us. He has come to you to live brilliantly and die passionately and be raised again powerfully and to give his Holy Spirit as he prepares a place for us. One day he'll come and he'll gather us all together. This God who out of his grace and his mercy and the depth of a love I don't think we'll ever understand takes our 
splotchy, unrighteous lives and hides them inside of himself so that we have his righteousness, that we become this righteousness of Christ. Listen, my submission to you is that you'd submit your life to that. It's a better kingdom. It's a better kingdom, different economics, different politics, a different currency, a different time, and a much better king. That you would submit your life. And for the rest of us as a church, we have a lot to repent for. I'll tell you personally, when I am gospel silent, I have a lot to repent for. I gotta repent for my self-preoccupation. I have to repent from just staring into the sky. Ultimately, we just don't believe that we're free. We don't trust the gospel. We have what I've called in the past a gospel fracture, and that's a fracture worth mending. I mean, soon we'll be singing and praying and, and celebrating God's presence in his church. And maybe, maybe for you as a missionary that's growing, maybe flipping a city is just too, too big, too unwieldy. Think of just a couple people. Think of just a couple people. Maybe God has already brought the face or the image of a couple people to your mind. People that you have some regrets from not entering into some harder conversations, not projecting the gospel. Maybe you have and you didn't get a great response, which happens, right? You just cut that thing off and moved on. Whatever it is, I would love for you to just submit that to the Lord and ask the Lord to give you opportunities and a courage to be obedient.